And this room of like nurses was looking at me like, who eats a whole rotisserie chicken in one sitting? Uh <laughs> <laughs> just a wee lad in college i actually wanted to get a dual degree in both exercise science and nutrition but when i finished my master's and i realized that it's going to take at least another six month internship plus more coursework to even get in the ball game i decided to focus on exercise instead now even though i never pursued a degree in nutrition that doesn't mean i'm not still passionate about it and i'm not continuing to learn about it to this day. I mean, after all, why wouldn't you want to invest some time learning about nutrition? Especially when you consider the fact that most of us are going to eat three to four times a day, every day, for the rest of our lives. It just makes sense. But that's also why I've decided to bring my good friend, Dr. Mike Roussel, back to the Physical Preparation Podcast. As an author, speaker, and nutrition consultant, Dr. Mike is known for transforming complex nutritional concepts into practical nutritional habits that his clients can use to ensure permanent weight loss and long-lasting health. And he's got a wide variety of clients from NBA All-Stars, Hollywood stars, Silicon Valley execs, all of whom seek him out for his unique ability and his experience in translating scientific findings into relevant and actionable strategies to achieve lifelong health. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. In this episode, Dr. Mike and I are going to dive deep into two topics that are very, very hot in our industry. Number one, the great protein debate, and number two, how coffee can be used to improve performance. But before we go there, we're going to start with Dr. Mike's two big nutritional rocks, and perhaps more importantly, why they haven't changed all that much over the years. We're going to go hard on the topic of protein. For instance, how much do you really need to build muscle? or maybe as we age, to avoid muscle loss. Is protein timing really a thing? I mean, do you really need to have that protein shake 13.25 minutes after your workout? And we talk about protein prioritization. With all the different types of proteins out there and on the market, are some really better than others? After that, we talk about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's coffee. We start by talking about what got Dr. Mike started in the coffee game and why he eventually started his own coffee company. We also talk about the anti-aging and mental health benefits of BDNF and how a patented process has taken a product we all know and love and made it even more beneficial for us. I always love talking to Dr. Mike, and while I always feel a little bit smarter when we're done, I also feel like I'm slacking in life and need to get more done. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome new episode with my guy, Dr. Mike Russo. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. 
And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Dr. Mike Mann, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you back on, even though it doesn't feel like we've had you on because it's been so long in between shows. But I'd love to just hear a little bit about you and what you're up to these days, man. Yeah, no, it's it's great to be back. I was thinking... I mean, that was the first time, and maybe it was actually the last time I was on the show. It was probably a decade ago. It's it's been a while. Because um, I just, I distinctly remember I was a graduate student, and I had to like find the spot in the lab to like record. <laughs> to it. So, which is also awesome that you've been you've been at it for so long too. You know that that the show has sustained. So that's really cool. Yeah. So I don't know if it was like we both got busy, or I was just a terrible guest. It took me a decade to get back. <laughs> um, so no, I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you having me back on the show. So talk to me, man. I would love to hear how you got started in physical preparation. I always love hearing people's backstories. So like, what got you into this, man? Um, You know, I got into it similar to like how we were talking right before we got on the show. And I was saying how my, my 14-year-old son is like full-on um, physical culture dude. Uh, <laughs> I was the same way, you know, like as a kid, we didn't have like, the, we didn't have the tools that we have nowadays. Uh, you know, like the knowledge and all all that sort of stuff. And I was a kid in the country. And so I wanted to run faster. So I would just see how fast I could run up and down my driveway and try to run <laughs> try to yeah. run faster every day. Like I had a bench with the um, the thin, like, you know, the weights, not the Olympic size holes, but the little ones. I know exactly. Which, it's like a Sears, like, yeah. workout set. Yes. Yep. I had one of those. It was the total weight was 110 pounds, like yep. everything, if I loaded everything on it. And I had it in my bedroom and used to just kind of go at it. And, you know, that was really, um, that was really how I got into it. And then I, uh, I went away to boarding school as a kid and that was like a whole new picture because they had a weight room. Yeah. And I blew out my knee spring of my sophomore year. And I distinctly remember being at a supermarket, Sudbury, Massachusetts, and at the checkout line and I saw muscle and fitness and I'm like, well, I'm just going to grab this. Cause it was like the night it was like before surgery. I'm like, I'm going to be sitting around for a long time. So I might as well like read up on this. Right. And so that was like, literally, I still have that magazine too. Um, 
that was kind of the beginning, I would say, of like my true journey into physical preparedness and, and physical culture and all that, uh, because I learned about training splits and I learned about macronutrients and um, and all that stuff. And that's just how it started. It was all, you know, sports performance um, related because I just want to be a better athlete. Then um had this little misguided journey into bodybuilding Okay, and um, went to medical school. Found medical school, not exactly like what I wanted to do. Um, I would say, I joke with my wife that I'm grossly unemployable. <laughs> and the, the, path of, the path of medicine had too many people telling me what to do. Um, so I went to a place where you could do whatever you want. I went to academia. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, and so then I went to graduate school in nutrition. And really there fell into the best situation I could have ever imagined. Like I had no idea going into it how great my advisor was or how prolific and, and well respected she was. You know, she's written yeah. on the dietary guidelines uh, multiple times and she's very high up in the American Heart Association. So I just I got to learn um, how to be a good scientist, how to be a good thinker, how to write like they were so big on writing. And that's really when I got into writing. Um, that was all cardiovascular disease, a little bit of metabolic syndrome, some more kind of this cardiometabolic stuff. And, but I really had this great appreciation for me for biochemistry, like one of my degrees is in biochemistry. And I really think if you can understand biochemistry, then you can basically deal with any nutritional conundrum you're going to come across right like as, as a professional and so i've been writing for about a year or so this nutrition certification called nutrition os and that's really the thesis like i wrote a textbook like a nutrition biochemistry textbook and as the first book to the certification because my thought is like if we can understand this stuff like the body only works via a set number of rules right. so if you understand the rules you can make assumptions or educated guesses about what's going to happen, how the body's going to respond, et cetera. And um, so I was really big onto that. I loved, I like, I loved graduate school so much because it was the situation where I could say, huh, why does short chain, why does short chain omega-3 fatty acids impact C-reactive protein, but long chain essential amino acids or um, long chain omega-3 fatty acids don't? And I spent three days just like printing and reading research papers to try to figure <laughs> out what the answer is, right? Right. And ah, guys, so missed that in my life, like yeah. just kind of. Um, but I think nutrition, nutrition biochemistry is very much similar, I would say, to well, functional anatomy. You know, like in in your world, that if you can understand truly how the human body moves, then you can, you know, that's the unlock. You know, yes. you can figure out anything. You like, you know, the code. Yeah. And. I, so I'm, I'm like always encouraging. I do a lot of talking with um, registered dietitians, nurses, physicians, but especially when I get to talk to young dietitians, I always really push the idea of like really understand the science. Yeah. Um, and nowadays I feel like there's a people wanting to shortcut not understanding the science. And it's also a curse because then you hear people say stuff and you're like, and you like cringe because you're like, well, that's not really true. And so my whole life, and I had somebody tell this, or a client told me this was my secret, my superpower, um, is really trying to communicate nuanced science. Yes. In a way that respects like what the actual answer is, 
uh, as we understand it. Yes. And also the, the person that you're talking to's understanding. Yes. And, and I know that I'm sure you've seen this too with a with a trainer or a coach, and they're just like spouting off, you know, anatomy mumbo jumbo to someone who's like, wait a second, is this is when I step one leg up on the box, is that one rep? Or do I have to go both legs and then that's one rep? Right. Know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like this respect on both sides, like respect for the science and what is actually happening, and also respect for that other person to communicate to them to in a way that's going to help them, not that's going to make you feel super smart. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So one other question before we dive in here, talk to me about like everyday life right now, right? Like you're not just like the guy that's just in there cranking out eight hour days, seeing just patients or clients, whatever, like you do a lot of different things. So give us an idea of the scope of what all you're doing and working on right now. Yeah. So I actually don't, you know, it's funny, like, I think the my career path, there's always been, if you think of it as like a pie chart of different things, private consulting, writing, kind of creative projects, uh, consulting with like companies and groups. There's always been this that those set things. Yep. And then the amount of that pie, then it kind of changes and adjusts over time. Sure. Whereas for sometimes there'll be years where I do a ton of writing. Um, like I was at one point when writing was actually, you know, something you could actually make money on um, and publishers cared about good content. Yes. I was, I was writing 20 pieces a month. Right. Um, and, you know, so now I don't do as much of that freelance writing because I can only write, you know, top 10 foods for doing whatever uh, without feeling like I want to bang my head on the keyboard. <laughs> the, um, but um, so there's still a little bit of writing. I do, I've been doing a lot more with consulting with companies. So there's, you know, there's a lot of digital nutrition fitness companies out there that actually appreciate good information and what's, the, how do we help our user reach their goals? And there's a lot of smart people out there asking really good questions. And so I actually spend a lot of time in the digital health, fitness, nutrition space, mm. helping yeah with like content strategy uh, for things, but also what is the experience of a person that's using this technology? Oh, and like, how are they gonna string together the things that you're trying to tell them to get to their end result? And how do we need to do it differently? And, and so they call it kind of in the industry, like the user journey and also the user experience. Yep. So I actually spent a lot of time with that. Um, and there's a, I'm working on a project in the digital healthcare space it's kind of a secret project right now, but in the next two months will be a public project uh, that's been about 18 months uh, in the works, I believe. Maybe I'm closing on two years. Uh, and so that's been that's been really cool. That's a lot of fun. So I spent a fair amount of time on that. Um, I uh, have a supplement company that um, has gone through a couple different iterations over the years and now is called Substance Nutrition, um, partly just due to we licensed a product to a company um, that, fingers crossed, maybe by the time this comes out, we'll have re uh, retail distribution with a major drugstore um, and created a, a protein powder called Synthesis that launched this July. So there's kind of that project. And I have my corporate clients. I keep still keep a couple private clients because I think it's so important to, to understand, like, what are the things that people are doing on a daily basis? Yep. 
that they're thinking, they're struggling with, they're and I, I, throughout my whole career, I've always done that. Um, and I've always like I know some people were like, "Well, I don't do private client work," and I'm like, "I know, but it's just so good." You know, yeah. Companies like they pay to have focus groups come in to like tell them like that's your focus group is like actual people, right? Um, so you know that uh, I have a couple other writing projects, like I mentioned, this nutrition certification called Nutrition OS. We've been piloting that with a group of trainers. Uh, that's a project with Pat Rigsby that uh, that we've been working on uh, for a bit. So it's um, I would say my day to day is very variable. Yes, um, but it is a mix of private consulting, some of my own projects, and um, and consulting with with companies. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so I got a couple big topics I want to jump into, but before we go there. For people that are unfamiliar with you or your philosophy, I'd just love to hear like your nutritional big rocks. So if somebody yeah. came to Dr. Mike Roussel and said, hey, man, what are your thoughts on nutrition? Give me the elevator pitch. How would you describe that to somebody? So I think the cool thing about this is that it hasn't changed that much over time. Uh, if anything, it's gotten a little more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in... 2005, 2006, I came up with this idea of the six pillars of nutrition. And the six pillars of nutrition, it's still now in 2022. I'm like, if you do that, you're like, you're doing pretty good. Right. Like that, it gets you there. Um, But I would say, if we focus, how do we focus on something to make it even easier? Like I had this client once and he was like, I was telling him, this is what you need to do. And he's like, nah, I'm never going to do that. Make it easier. Make it simpler. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how about this? He's like, no, make it, make it simpler. And he was like really pushing me to like, how do I distill this down? And so now I would say, and this is a long elevator pitch, but I'm like leading up to what it is. That's all right. The two things, because you can only carry so many big rocks, right? The two things that would be are uh, protein at every meal and eat primarily minimally processed foods. Mm. And I would account minimally processed foods as um, in the category of unprocessed foods. So that would be like a carrot or an apple. And then that hasn't undergone any processing. And a minimally processed food is then something like oatmeal. So it's like the oats, but they've like mashed them so you can actually eat them or nuts. So they've been roasted, but they don't add, you don't add other things to it. Right. Right. You've just kind of processed it to make it more palatable, um, you know, for you to eat it. If you eat protein every meal and you focus on minimally eating, mostly minimally processed foods, those would be the two is, the two biggest things uh, for people to do. I love it. I love it. And this actually goes seamlessly into kind of this first section because I'd love to talk about protein. I feel like this is something you and I have talked about in person. I know you've lectured on it. And obviously it's every bro in the gym's favorite macronutrient to discuss so yes so let's start with arguably the biggest question how much protein do we really need on a daily basis and then kind of as a 1b to that how do our protein needs shift or change if our goals are say more strength and hypertrophy focus which probably most of us cared about when we were younger and how does it maybe shift or change if maybe now we're more focused on longevity because i feel like there's some interesting research in that domain as well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yep. So I would say the the base answer, you're like, how much protein should we eat? And if you're an active resistance training person, it should fall somewhere between 
30 grams at every meal and one gram per pound body weight. And it's kind of for two reasons. If you look at a lot of the research in athletes, and this would be supporting recovery or muscle hypertrophy, one gram of protein per pound body weight is seems to be the 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 amount that it's optimal for someone you can go a little bit higher but it's not that much better um and if you go a little bit lower because actually with trained athletes like trained athletes can actually get away with less protein because their bodies have become more efficient Mm. um but if you look less than not like in the athlete athlete space but more like the recreational athlete and you know, 30 grams of protein at every meal or at every eating occasion, like let's say the you know post-workout shake. So for maybe an average person that gets you 120, at least 120 grams of protein. So you're 30 every meal and then and then post-workout. What that does is that every single eating occasion, you're going to be maximizing your body's ability to build and repair muscle. Like you're turning on that switch. And you're also providing your body, if you're eating the high quality proteins, with those building blocks. Like, I think that's where kind of people miss on protein. Like, yes, you need to maximize, you turn on the muscle building switch. So you turn the light on in the room, but then you also need to put it together like Legos. Like you need to build the muscle and repair it. Right. And 30 grams you know, at a meal is going to do that. As you get bigger, it scales a little bit. But I remember having a conversation, one of the, I would say one of the greatest protein researchers of all time um, was a gentleman named Doug Patton Jones. Uh, Doug passed away about a year ago. Um, and, uh, but we were, I was so fortunate to be friends with him. We were, cause we did speaking circuits together. And I remember sitting down and talking to him at this, uh, we were at this event called the strength summit, which was kind of like a protein research bonanza, right? Where you like talked protein research and ate beef. And, you know, it was like, it was like <laughs> the best, <laughs> it was pretty much the best you could ever is the funnest thing ever. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we were, I was like, Doug, you know, cause I always think it's interesting to talk to researchers more in the back of the room, in the hallway, kind of at the bar. Because I want to know like what their opinion is. Because I think a good researcher is very good at being objective when they're on stage and saying, here's what the data shows. We did this. And then here's what happened. But everybody's human. And everybody has ideas of their own, you know, where they'll see something and they're thinking to themselves, I wonder if it's this. But, you know, I would say they're professional enough not to share that on stage in a scientific setting because it's not appropriate. Right. Um, so if you get them off, you know, kind of off stage, then it's really, I find it to be really interesting. And so I remember talking with Doug and I was like, what do you think the difference between, because Doug was the one who literally did the research that discovered 30 grams of protein maximizes muscle protein synthesis. Like whether it's 30 grams or 90 grams, there's a 46% increase. Like Doug was the guy who did that. And he said, I was like, what do you think the difference between 30 grams a day or 30 grams per meal and one gram per pound body weight? Because one of the confusing things about protein is recommendations are given at different metrics. You know, there's a meal based metric. There's a grams per pound body weight metric. There's also a percent calorie metric. And if you calculate those for one individual, they could actually be three different amounts. Yeah. (laughs) What do I need? And he said he does. He thinks the difference for the average recreationally active person doing thirty grams at every eating occasion versus one gram per pound body weight is is a nominal difference. Mm. Um, and I think because what's going to happen is the average person, when you look at their eating behavior, 
can hit 120 grams of protein with some paying attention. If you're 180 pounds, to go from 120 grams of protein to 180 grams of protein consistently, it's hard to do that just by eating. Right. Like you're, yes. you're gonna need, you're gonna add shakes. Like you're gonna need to do this little extra. And so, for the average person on a muscle basis, the cost benefit, I don't really know if it nets out benefit wise to drive that to 180. Okay. If you know, with this typical person. So what I usually tell people is. Start making sure you're getting a, a legitimate portion of protein at every meal and a, and a recovery shake, and then scale your protein intake up more as needed. And I would say as needed if you're having trouble recovering, you're not making the progress you'd like, or if you find that you're still hungry, you know, because protein is, a, is has these strong satiety effects, which is yep. basically delaying the effect of hunger so you eat, you're not hungry. How long until you're hungry again? Protein helps extend that time period. And so if you find that you're you're hungry all the time and you then going with more protein is valuable because the the other cool thing about protein is that while there's this threshold of about 30 grams to maximize those muscle building signals, the satiety effects of protein are dose response. Yeah. So, and they only kick in at about 30, like 30 is the minimum. So if you eat 40 and then you eat 50, like 50, you're going to be much more satiated than 30. And I, once I was giving this talk and I should have known better. <laughs> and I said, I was talking about this idea. I'm like, well, I'm like, you know, if you've ever sat down to eat an entire rotisserie chicken, like, you know, that protein is satiating on a dose response fact. And this room of like nurses was looking at me like, who eats a whole rotisserie chicken in one sitting? <laughs> Most meatheads. Most meatheads that are so, bodybuilding on a budget. I was like, you know what? I've been doing this for like uh, 10, 15 years, and you still got to remember, you got to know your audience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, that, like if you sit and you eat a lot of protein uh, food, it is very satiating. And the more you yes. eat, the more filling it is. So that's the other benefit for people. You know, start at this you know, say 120 grams per day threshold. And there's a large, you know, cohort of protein researchers that are looking and trying and have been for five, eight years to change nutritional recommendations to be meal-based for protein mm. uh, and to get away from kind of what the RDA is, which is more about essential nutrient deficiencies. Right. So uh, long-winded answer to 30 grams per meal per eating occasion up to one gram per pound body weight from a hypertrophy perspective if you're if you're getting one gram of protein per pound body weight it's more calories and your training are likely the limiting factor not protein gotcha. you will find one-off studies every five or so years that seem to come out and show if you really juice your protein intake that there will be this additional bump in in um you know muscular hypertrophy and strength and it just comes down to like cost benefit eating 100 eating 320 grams of protein a day is like it seems unnecessary and yeah. unnecessarily expensive oh, when you can get chickens chickens expensive these days my guy yeah, everything is expensive nowadays expensive, yes yes especially like i used to you know um my i have done a lot of work over the years with uh, the national kettleman's beef association and helping them with their research programs around protein and such. And um, 
it's like price has always been something that has been something to talk, you know, to talk and uh, around them when they're thinking about their product. And it's now it's hard for everybody because the cost is so expensive. It's like everything is lobster now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so uh, the the high end of protein intake, I just don't think you need to go there. Yeah. And there's not really this huge benefit. As you get older, you are going to likely need slightly more protein. But, you know, we talk about more. This is the difference between a gram per pound and 1.2 grams per pound body weight. You know, it's not let's triple our protein intake. But you're likely going to need a little bit more. And part of that is also as you get older, your body's ability to lose muscle, like the atrophy effect, is really significant. So it's muscle loss is more of an issue than lack of muscle gain as you get older. I mean, right. gaining muscle, like if we're being honest, gaining muscle is hard at any age north of 25. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like it's just it's like really hard. Um, that's like you telling my 14 year old son, like, hey, you are in the heyday right now. Yes, like you enjoy just enjoy it, man. Soak it up. <laughs> um, but it's but the thing that really does accelerate is is muscle loss and atrophy. Um, and Doug Patton Jones, he did a, a study once looking at bed rest because he used to do a bunch of research for NASA. And so they would do bed rest to, to mimic uh, weightlessness. And they did 20-year-olds. I want to say they're 50-year-old people, but could be 40, could be 65. <clears throat> but give me that plus or minus, right? Yep. And the net was that the older group lost muscle at three times the rate of the younger group of the 20-year-olds in this bed rest scenario. And so, I mean, you could apply this to all kinds of things like March Madness when you're on the couch for three weeks, right, to just being at work and being at your desk. And so the I think as we get older, the thing that we're really fighting is muscle loss. Mm -hmm. And that's why protein at every meal and really hitting those protein targets, I think, is so important because as you then fast forward even more, your lean body mass is so predictive of your health later in life. And also your longevity because, you know, falls, fractures, and strength become such an issue. Yeah. And, I mean, there's, like, really cool – there's cool research with people who are, like, 100 years old, and they have them doing, like, resistance band training. And there's not any, like, hypertrophy gains because when you're 100, like, how are you going to actually, you know, like, gain muscle mass, right? right? But they gain strength, and then that strength translates into better health outcomes. Yep. And – so it's really it's really cool, but I, so I think as you get older, you are going to need slightly more protein. But the focus is really how do we mitigate muscle loss, which for me is part fighting a sedentary life yep. and protein intake. Got it. Okay. So along that same thought process, let's talk timing of protein intake. And you and I came up in the golden era where if you didn't have your shake. 13.25 minutes after your workout, you lost all the muscle gains, right? Like you might as well have not trained. Now, well, <laughs> it, it sounds ridiculous, uh, but but that's that's what we thought, at least for a certain period of time. It was like one hour. If you didn't have the shake, just forget about it. But in all seriousness, is it just as easy at this point to just spread it out across the day and like the three or four meals? Or is there more to timing? What are your thoughts there? I mean, I think the timing thing for when we came up, it may or may not have worked. I mean, I don't know because I never missed it. 
Yeah, like, you know, people are like, well, if you don't get it in this 20 minute window, it's a loss. I'm like, well, I wouldn't know because I win every time. Like, that's right. I do not miss a shake for forever. I know. Um, I have, I mean, I've sat, I've snuck ground beef and rice into movie theaters. <laughs> so I, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I think it, it, what we're really starting to, I think, appreciate now, um, it's actually interesting too, because those, the idea that you needed, uh, protein right after exercise was kind of more of a like bastardization of like carbohydrate needs mm. because because there is this immediate right after exercise like your muscles are sponges and if you wait 45 minutes or 90 minutes you're not going to be able to replete glycogen as fast yep right and then, so that's why like post-workout carbs are so big. And then people are like, well, let's do post-workout protein too. Because if you add a little protein to your carbs, it, even, it f- does glycogen replenishment even more. And then like nobody, we just decided not to ask the question, like, is glycogen replenishment even important for us? Like <laughs> rapid glycogen replenishment, right? It took like six years before anybody was like, yeah, but I'm not going to train again for 72 hours. And what I do isn't that glycogen intensive. Right. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, so, but I think the protein thing then got roped into that question. Uh, what we do know is that right after exercise, you get a bump in uh, muscle protein synthesis, right? Even if you don't do anything, because basically your body's smart. It's like, we just thrashed, we need to rebuild some stuff. Yep. And so exercise does that. Eating protein will also just, even if you're sitting around, eat some protein, you're getting a bump, 46% increase in muscle protein synthesis. But if you have both, exercise and protein you get not just a larger increase in muscle protein synthesis but it sustains for five hours compared to three hours Mm. so you get this stronger and longer signal to build and repair muscle it's not though that you need it immediately afterwards that it just there's you know call it a two-hour window three hours window you know to to get it in there what I think more is important for people is less about how close to exercise do I need to get in the protein, but just thinking about your entire day. So getting in enough overall protein is like number one priority. Yep. Then spreading your protein out like someone who wants to optimize their health is the second one. Because historically, a lot of protein at dinner, many, many minuscule amounts of protein at breakfast, some at lunch. So spreading that out to be more reasonable throughout the day, that would be phase two. And then phase three would be getting in extra protein shortly after exercise. And this is where protein shakes really come into play because the other nuance on protein is that you need to have a break between protein eating sessions in order to maximize the effect. Okay. So this again goes back to you know, people like you're, you're joking about us with the post-workout protein thing. <laughs> cool thing about, and this just, we say when we were younger, makes us sound really old, was that there wasn't a lot of documentation. Like there's no pictures of me drinking protein powder. Like, <laughs> in 15 years, everybody who's recording all the things that are doing now that are stupid. Uh, yes. like, it's all going to be out there. there. Yes. Um, but uh, 
so what the thing is so the other thing that's not recorded being stupid is like carrying a jug of like amino acids or like a large thing of protein and drinking it nonstop, right yes. because you needed a constant flow of amino acids turns out that's actually not a good thing because in in science there's this thing called the refractory period where you need you get a rise in amino acid levels and that flips the signal but then you need them to go back down to then get the rise again hmm. it's kind of like if your kids are constantly screaming in the house, <laughs> right? You just don't really pay attention. Like my sisters or my parents show up, they're like, God, it's so loud in here. I'm like, really? I didn't notice, right? <laughs> and so you need the signal to go down to get it up again. And so with food, with whole food, it's about a four to six hour window. So okay. eat a meal, wait four to six hours, eat another meal. Liquid protein is different because it's digested so quickly. Like it gets into your bloodstream so fast. It spikes and then comes back down so quick that you can actually do that every two hours. Mm. So if you're somebody, you're like, well, I'm eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, protein, solid food meals, and then I'm going to have a liquid shake after I work out. Just try to time that liquid shake so it's, you know, 90 to two hours before you're going to eat a solid food meal. I think that's more important than instantly after your workout. Gotcha. You know? And that if you could do that, you basically get to double dip on the benefits of exercise and also the muscle protein synthesis kind of spikes throughout the day. And if you're someone who say, hey, look, I train three days a week and I train at five and then I eat dinner at six and it's a solid food meal, that's probably going to be fine for you. Like that's not the limiting factor in accelerating your progress. Gotcha. Okay. So last but not least, I want to talk about type of protein. Because again, if you've been in this game for any period of time, it's like, uh, let's just start listing all the options. Whey, casein, <laughs> whey casein blends, plant yes. proteins and all of their derivatives, collagen. I mean, you get the point. There's like a bazillion oh, yeah. options out there. So streamline this. Make it easy for somebody like myself who is interested in nutrition, wants to know a little bit about nutrition. Like, how would you describe them? And maybe what are some of our better options? So I am a big believer in whey protein. I think I remember I was talking with this guy who was like the head editor of Men's Health and we were talking about soy versus whey. And this was, there was some more research on soy coming out showing it was a good, you know, it was a quality protein that was absorbed well and and, and was a beneficial protein to use. And he was like, yeah, but whey is just better. So why not use what's better? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly true. <laughs> Unless you have a thing against whey, like, why not just use the best one? Like, we're out right. here inventing all these other kinds of proteins. Um, like, I don't even think we have time to talk about collagen because it's just ridiculous. Like, here's what we should do. Let's take something that doesn't support muscle growth or recovery at all and then tell people to have it after their workouts. Mm. Like, unless we're talking about there's, you know, I know Bill Hartman's got some joint protocol where you got to do these one and a quarter reps and collagen within yeah, 15 yeah. minutes of each other. Right. Yeah. But that's like a separate, that's like, let's repair cartilage and something different. Yeah. Like we're talking about muscle recovery. Like you should just throw out the collagen. Um, but so I think whey protein is the king because it's absorbed quickly. It has an incredible amino acid profile based on what people need. And so that's always, it tastes good if you get a high quality one. So you get a whey protein isolate, right? So there's isolate and then there's concentrate and then there's just whey protein, which is kind of like, who knows? But 
<laughs> you're like, I don't know, there's something, there's, or milk protein, that would be what they call it, milk protein. Yeah. Basically, the difference between whey protein concentrate and whey protein isolate is the levels of purification. So isolate's going to be more expensive because they've purified it more. You're going to get, you know, zero to one grams of carbohydrate, usually half a gram of fat per serving, because everything's been filtered out except for those amino acids. Gotcha. Um, that should be, in my opinion, the bulk of your uh, of your protein intake. I also do like, though, um, my cellular casein. So it's like a type of casein. It's sort of an undenatured, uh, purified form of casein that uh, casein is the other milk protein. And the benefit of casein is that it's more anti-catabolic than whey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were talking about there's two parts here. There's muscle building, but then there's also slowing muscle breakdown. Due to just the absorption kinetics and that amino acid makeup, casein is a, is better at um, slowing or attenuating muscle breakdown. Okay. So you, you mix those two together where you get enough of the muscle building side in, on the whey protein isolate, you get enough uh, micellar casein to help slow, you know, and attenuate muscle breakdown. And to me, that's kind of the, that's the perfect combination. Uh, you know, going into other things, like you could do egg, there's beef protein isolate, like you could do a, a, some of those things. None of them taste as good. Like whey just works. It's like, why would you use anything other than creatine creatine? It's the one that all the research studies use. It just works. I think on the plant-based protein side, the amount of progress there is insane. Hmm. Because even six years ago, all plant proteins tasted like grass clippings and dirt. Yeah, they were awful. And the amino acid and the amino acid profile was no good. What they've been able to do now with plant protein blends. And if you're looking to do a plant protein, I definitely recommend you do a blend of proteins because they do that to basically optimize how it tastes, but also the amino acid profile. And so if you don't do whey for because it's an animal product or uh, because you have a protein allergy, then a plant protein blend you can actually do really well nowadays with. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas previously it was it was very difficult. I think it's also to appreciate there's a difference between solid food protein and protein shakes. Like your body treats them distinctly different. We were talking about the satiating effects of protein. You just, you don't get that with shakes. Like a protein, liquid protein is about as satiating as carbohydrate, which isn't to say it's not satiating. It's just not like eating protein. Right. It's like drinking 40 grams of whey is not the same as eating 40 grams of chicken breasts you know, 40 grams of protein from chicken breast is just different. Right. So if you're looking to maximize feelings of fullness, you need to leverage food. Yep. If you are looking for convenience for compliance sake, or you're looking to get that kind of speed and some of those advantages, like we we're talking about post-workout, that's when liquid protein comes in. If you're having trouble meeting your protein needs, protein shakes are definitely there to help. Gotcha. Um, and so I think that's an important distinction on the whole food protein side, there's some uh, research also suggests that, especially at breakfast, eating a variety of proteins, proteins from different sources, um, leads to greater satiety throughout the day too. So don't be afraid to to kind of mix, you know, it's a little bit of yogurt and some scrambled eggs and and some oatmeal. That mixing protein sources can also help um, uh, foster greater satiety as well. Wow, very cool. Okay, so I wanna shift gears a little bit. Obviously not a macronutrient, but something everybody loves talking about, which is coffee. And obviously this is something you have been in the game with for a little while now. 
for starters, just talk to me about how did Neuro Coffee come about? So Neuro Coffee came about <clears throat> part as my quest to like help people consistently do things that would improve their health. And I think that behavior change is very, very hard. And so the best way then to help um, improve health is say, well, don't change your behavior. Let's just do this similar behavior and get better results, right? Okay. It's like yeah. optimizing your workout, your post-workout shake. Like you don't have to do anything different, like do the same thing, but let's just do a slightly different version. Right. And one of the things, my wife is a speech pathologist, and she had always worked, she'd worked for a time in, in some nursing homes and assisted living. And she had always observed that no matter what was going on with someone with their age or their cognition, like they always drank coffee. Like there's just something weird about the ritual of drinking coffee that is a direct connection to the human soul. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I was like, man, well, if we could like mess around with coffee to make it that same experience, but provide a, something that people aren't getting otherwise, that would be magic. And so that's kind of how I got around to neuro coffee. Turns out you can't really add a lot of different things to coffee without changing it. And then if you change the coffee taste, that, you know, that ruins, ruins everything. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're able to, I came across these compounds. It was essentially this antioxidant concentrate from um, coffee fruit. So coffee is comes from being like a cherry and the fruits usually discarded in the field. And so through some patented processes, it's usually discarded because it gets moldy. So through some patented processes, the coffee fruit is preserved, uh, mold-free, and then the antioxidants are extracted. So it's like freeze-dried, the antioxidants are extracted. And those antioxidants from the whole coffee uh, fruit itself increase a protein in your body called BDNF which a lot of us exercise folks know because when you, it's like exercise is good for your brain because when you exercise intensely, it boosts this brain derived neurotrophic factor, which helps with neuron growth, helps with neuron repair. Um, BDNF de de decreases when we're stressed, uh, when we eat too much sugar, as we get older, don't get enough sleep. But basically most, most of the things we're doing on a daily basis, right? Right. It, right. And so we put this extract into coffee and there's two clinical studies showing that this extract increases BDNF in humans in the dose that we that we infuse into neuro coffee. So the idea was drink the same coffee as normal, but it's supercharged to essentially help fight back against the stresses of modern life and to help improve your body's ability to grow and repair neurons and support those processes. Wow, that's super cool. So basically do the thing you're doing all the time and get better like life results yes by, by that's that's very yes. cool by default yep that's very cool okay so kind of along those same lines i know everybody is thinking this but is there a limit on how much coffee you should be drinking now obviously it's bad business for you to say no <laughs> but being the uh, balanced practitioner I know you are, I just love to hear your thoughts on this or what you tell people. Like, what is a normal um, amount of, of coffee to drink in a day? So researchers in coffee, like all researchers, I guess, aren't fully connected to how humans behave in real life. Because <laughs> in a research study, a cup of coffee is eight ounces. Like, never in my life. <laughs> have I ever had eight ounces of coffee and been like, that's a cup. Like yeah, if I poured great. eight ounces of coffee, my wife would look at me and be like, 
and where's the rest? Right. right. <laughs> like, <it's>, right. <laughs> like you can't you can't go to a coffee, Tim Hortons, Starbucks, Dunkin'. Like you can't go there and get eight ounces. No, it just doesn't exist. Um, so eight ounces, an eight ounce cup is what they use in research studies. Four to six cups a day of is really when. So you do the math on that, right? That's actually where where you really start getting some of these benefits from like protection against diabetes, protection against dementia. Like coffee is the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet, which is one, a testament to how awesome coffee is. And two, <laughs> a disparaging comment about the fact that we don't eat fruits and vegetables. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 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 So it's like this this like backhanded compliment. Um <laughs> But so you can, and for most people then at that point, like caffeine becomes the limiting factor, yep. you know, where they just don't feel, you don't feel good. And so, because, so you can actually drink a lot of coffee where people get themselves in trouble is when your coffee looks more like you got it as a deserted dairy queen versus, yes. you know, coffee that came from a Mr. Coffee pot. That is really the, that's the sticking point for most people. Drinking coffee is not bad for you. It's all the other things we do. Mm. If you're having a couple cups a day, you like a little bit of sugar and a little bit of cream. I've literally never had a client that I've said, oh, we're to the point in your nutrition journey where the sugar you're putting in your coffee is holding you back. Right. Like, keep the ritual, enjoy it, but just keep it reasonable. It's like I'll tell clients with alcohol, like sometimes it's not the alcohol. It's like all the food you eat after you have the alcohol that is the problem, right? And so yes. with coffee, it's all the – it's the sugar and the whip and the frappuccino. That's really the issue. Um, otherwise, it's extremely helpful. And, you know, I think people are like, oh, I gave up coffee and drinking tea. I don't know. It's like a net zero change. Like right. tea is really good for you. It just kind of has better PR. And because coffee is also really good for you. Yeah. Uh, and so I think both are equal. So if you're saying, oh, I'm going to give up coffee because we're moving into that time of year where people start giving up stuff. And I'm going to give up coffee because it's not good for me. Like, don't do that. Like, save yourself. Be happy. Avoid the headaches. Keep drinking coffee. Gotcha. Okay. One more question, because I know we're up against the clock here. You have a lot of stuff going on. I would just like to hear more about substance nutrition as a whole. What you're doing there. I mean, obviously, you've got a lot of things going on, but just talk to me about that and what you got going on. Sure. So substance nutrition um, is, you can check it out at substancenutrition.com. Uh, Neuro Coffee used to be kind of its own standalone brand, and um, now it's part of Substance Nutrition. And with Substance Nutrition, we also have uh, Synthesis, which is a whey protein isolate micellar case and blend. So I kind of got to this point where I was like, hey, I want to make the protein that I want to drink. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where my kids and family, they were like, oh, I'd like to use this. What do you think about this product? What do you think about that product? And you don't really know. And yeah. so... I was able to, you know, find the manufacturer that I was like, these guys are the best. And I have a friend who's a certified master chef. And I said, Hey, can you help me make this taste really good? No artificial flavors, no artificial sweeteners, no preservatives, none of that stuff. And he more took it as a challenge. Uh, Chef Ken, he's great. And so we, we literally, you know, we took 18 months, 12 months and like went through the development to get this lots of different versions to create this protein powder uh, that we call synthesis. We just currently have vanilla. It's called authentic vanilla and it's delicious. Um, it really is. We're, I had a meeting with a, a major grocer uh, this week 
and they told me it was the best protein powder they tasted. Like there's no, yeah. there's no aftertaste to it. It doesn't have that bitterness you get with stevia or monk fruit, even though that's what we use in it. Um, and it's, you know, it's tested to the gills on purity. So we do, you know, antimicrobial testing. We do heavy metal testing. Every batch is tested for more than 250 banned substances by a third party. So we're informed uh, choice sport so that people can feel really good about I'm going to take this. I'm going to give it to my kids. You know, yeah. my kids want to use protein powder. Like, you know, you don't necessarily want to go to the discount store because you don't know what's going to be in it. And uh, so it was really, a, it was a product that created kind of out of a personal desire to have something that I felt really good about. And, um, and now people, you know, people have really loved it. We launched it in July and it's, um, it's been going really well. The feedback we've gotten from people has been tremendous. And that idea of how do we take two of the highest quality types of protein, put them together, get it third party tested. Like that's really resonating. Like I've actually, we've had a bunch of athletes, professional athletes who are, you know, the top, top athletes in their professional sports use the product. Um, they like the taste and they feel good about all the extra steps that we've done gone through yes. to make, you know, to make it this, you know, what you see on the label is, is what you're going to get in every scoop. So, uh, so that's kind of the substance journey this coming year, 2023, uh, we're going to do chocolate's going to come out. And I'm also working on a, uh, a coffee creamer that contains uh, special fibers that actually can enhance immune function and have been shown clinically to reduce um, duration and intensity of upper respiratory infections. So got some kind of cool, Thing to make your protein shakes or your coffee like truly support your immune system man i love it dude you have so many irons in the fire i always <laughs> feel like i'm underperforming in life when i talk to you oh my god so, no, don't say that. so thanks for that man uh in all seriousness mike i know you're busy thank you so much for coming on the show here today where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great stuff you're doing yeah no thank you so much for having me so substancenutrition.com is is where you'll find everything substance nutrition related uh mike russell.com just m-i-k-e-r-o-u-s-s-e-l-l.com um is home base for everything i have a, a podcast called the dr mike show that comes out once a week i have a newsletter that's week once maybe twice a week um you can get all that all that there um instagram is just at mike russell tiktok's at dr mike russell um, we've got video content that's been uh, coming out almost daily now on those platforms too. So, um, so yeah, those are all the places to go and, and check it out. I love it, man. Well, I'll make sure I get all those links in the show notes. And again, Mike, thank you so much, man. This was great. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. It was really great to see you. All right, my friends, that does it for this week's episode with Dr. Mike Roussel. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, he is a wealth of knowledge. I feel like I could bring him back next week and we could talk about carbohydrates or fats or just about any topic, and he's going to have really well thought out and very succinct answers. So again, really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, one small favor to ask. If you're not already subscribed to the show, what are you waiting for, my friend? So quick, so easy. Go to wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon Store. Go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. 
If you've been following the show for any period of time, you know I'm always trying to seek out world-class experts and people that will help us level up our own careers. So, my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.